0: Good afternoon, welcome to podcast three of What Moves Us. Here we are again, so hi Liam.
1: Hi Johanna,
0: where are we? We're in the Oval in Vauxhall, London. And no, we're not here to watch the cricket, but we're here to join the Rail Industry Association with the Young Rail Professionals and the Civil Engineering Contractors Association who today are launching their Trailblazers campaign. The campaign is all about initiatives and challenges across the railway industry to increase diversity and inclusiveness. We're going to be podcasting from their first workshop and we'll be speaking to a number of the participants this afternoon who include rail operators, infrastructure companies and industry bodies. So do you want to say anything at this stage about some of the participants that we will be seeing here this afternoon?
1: Yes. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say that they've just put on some lovely pop music, so I'm going to have to talk louder through it. <laughs> right. Who have we got coming today? We have uh, Juliana Moats from Young Rail Professionals. We know her from her red hair and her extremely good views and presentations. We have Deb Carson, our friend from High Speed Rail Leaders and co-rail innovator and who was
0: also just released a report this morning yes. as well on why Miami we need hs2 <laughs>
1: and diversity in hs2 we've got uh recruitment specialists we've got uh strategic rail transportation consultants and oh we've got May coming oh i like me
0: oh i don't think i've met marianne Mayan. Maya,
1: oh sorry yes
0: um, but um, going back to this afternoon, I mean, like this is this is the start of a piece of work that they're going to be doing, which is going to be um, discussed throughout the year, and is going to form part of a launch of a Trailblazers Guide at the Rail Industry Association Annual Conference, which is going to be held in November. Um so, so what actually is going to be happening this afternoon? What, what what are what are the aims of it? So so some of the things they're going to be looking at is, you know, I think ultimately it's going to be about um what are we doing? You know, what is what is going on, you know, in the area, what 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 good work is already going on, but what challenges are we going to to be um
1: <laughs> Our our coat people are behind us, Nothing on a the window, you need to go away. <laughs> Easy the, uh, the
0: trouble with live live podcasts, yeah. And what more do we need to do?
1: Well, judging by the fact that we are here, clearly we need to do more. Are. Yeah,
0: and I, and in preparation for this afternoon we thought that we'd explore a, a few topics and, and look at some of the research that's been run because there is a tremendous amount of research out there i mean I just in news articles in the last week um, there's um, been items in the guardian about how britain is a self-serving clique that runs britain and that's why we're in crisis so that's sort of like the political angle there's been items about how um, pay of ethnic minorities is a lot less than People, white people's pay, you know, um, by as much as 25% in cases. And even this morning, there's been a piece in the Times on gender bias that th- there is still a perception that women are best in charge of childcare. You know, even you know, even with you know, um, parity of. Um, it's
1: just a self-sustaining thing because obviously society expects women to do childcare, so obviously they get more training and experience <laughs> doing it. If men did it as much as women, they would be equally. As- skill at doing
0: it. Which I think is, 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 in, is interesting because some of the other um, areas that we've been working on, we're going to refer again to Mary Pauces's, um book and podcast a bit later on um, Work Like a Woman, because in her book, one of the things that she actually explores is the fact that we've had this revolution for women But we haven't actually had the same revolution for men. So women can, you know, are brought up to do everything, you know, to to go to work, to do the childcare, still to do, you know, the main activities around the house. But we haven't had that same revolution to men to say, well, actually... It's okay for you to be in charge of the, the child care. It's okay for you to do those house... We haven't done that reverse engineering. So I think that's... Is that one of our problems, you yeah, And that's why I say, you know, about society. But, you know... Other books that you know, we've been exploring are you know, Caroline Criado Perez, who um, has written about Invisible Women, which is all about design bias, you know, right from the way products are designed in society to, um, to the way the data is collected, because we just don't collect data on sexes you know and, and it's even worse when it comes to when you're talking to people with disabilities yeah. and people with um, who who are um, of um, colour you know there is no disaggregation of the data it's all taken from a a, a white average man that's that's how the, the world of design is seen and then I think you know sort of like you know and exploring it out into you know Renee Ido Lodge who's written why I'm no longer talking to white people about race you know, you know how we all look at it through our own lenses and you know Gabrielle Union, um, who is an American actress and I can't remember what TV programme she's in but she was in 10 Things I Hate About You and her book, we, We're Going to Need a Lot More Wine and I think that is semi-autobiographical book yeah. but it's brilliant because you really get into actually what it's like to be a person of colour growing up today because we're not as we're not as diverse and we're not as fair as we all think we are because we are looking at it through our white yes. eyes. You're yeah. very well read though. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole list of things there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe I have the problem because I read too much into it. <laughs> but, um, good. Good and good then research. there's... And then there's huge amounts of articles that are across the industry that cover the rail gender pay gap because we now have to publish it, yeah. um, the infrastructure skills gap, diversity in transport. There is a lot of stuff, and I really do suggest that people do delve into this topic because it is really societal, insightful stuff, and it illustrates that there are numerous issues around diversity and inclusiveness, and that, as I've already stated, it's not it's. It's not just society, It's not just rail, it's societal and that we need to address this. But what are the problems in rail? Because we think, and please do get in touch with us if you, if you do ag- disagree with this, because we'd love to engage on this topic, um, but at entry level and in the context of the whole supply chain of rail, we think it's pretty diverse. But we think the problem is actually with getting... Um, diverse people promoted to senior roles and meritocracy so I'm just going to refer back to the Mary Porters book again work like a woman I'm just going to read out a
1: paragraph I'll just move your microphone away from you because I think it's flopped inwards so people are probably hearing your heartbeat at the moment oh lovely <laughs> I do have one apologies if you had some rustling there we're just moving the microphones around um, now I like the Mary Porters podcast I do listen to it and I find it fascinating I also like that people have uh, used the abbreviation for her book to be work law rather than work a woman in order to get men to read the book.
0: Oh, no, that's interesting. So why do you like the Mary Porter's podcast?
1: Because she's very blunt and transparent and opinionated, doesn't hold back, uh, but clearly has made it in a male-dominated world um, and is keen to share that. I mean, the essential point of, from what I take from her podcast is don't be a mean-spirited so-and-so in the workplace you don't need to be the alpha male and I workplace.
0: I think that's why I like it as well and why I was so attracted by the book because it wasn't so much a manifesto about um, being like a woman it was more about being being our true selves and about how being our true selves doesn't mean mean that we need to be an alpha male, that we can be kind in business, and that there are different ways about doing business.
1: Yes, I mean we're both kind and lovely,
0: aren't we? (laughs) Some might say so. (laughs) I have been referred by other things in business before, which I think is interesting in the female context. But um, anyway, back to this quote, which is what I, what I perceive as being one of the issues that, that we have as a society. And it's, um, it's from psychologist John Amici. And he believes that um, inclusion starts with true honesty about what is happening in your business. Any change has to start with a real pragmatic, honest assessment of the status quo. And I don't think we have that, he says inclusion is a threat and it's a threat to a certain group of people and that group of people is not straight white older men it's mediocre people and our organizations are full of them we call them the marzipan layer we call them the permafrost we know exactly who they are and so it is no wonder that we don't get the kind of movement we need because we have people who are perfectly adequate at the job and don't cause enough trouble. They know how to handle the appraisal and make sure they get the grade and I have added the brackets this which is mediocre and middle which means that they stay where they are and of course we all know somebody, again my own own words, who gets promoted to their level of mediocre. So is it time that we start shifting and challenging that mar- marzipan layer as Mary challenges to in her in her book? What do you think, Liam?
1: Um, I do very much think that we need to shift it. Uh, in my vocabulary, I call it the blob, uh, you can see that stop, cloudy middle of an organisation uh, which, having come in at the bottom of a large transport organisation, uh, you could see that you were just going to get bogged down in this middle management area of, as you say it, lots of people uh, in order to get to the top. And I think having stepped out of working for a transport organisation and being freelance and doing commentary and advocacy, you can see that people at the top really want to see change. People at the bottom are hungry, and have the energy to deliver change but there's a cloud in the middle which is probably what not, it's not a firm barrier, it's just a, a fog. A fog that's stopping diversity changes, that's stopping one So wish.
0: so what we need to do is find how we get through that fog.
1: Well, yeah, I mean from my point of view, I, I came out of the organisation, assumed that I would do my freelancing to get past the fog to then go in a senior level later on. But I certainly couldn't see myself morphing into this plot to get through do
0: you think that that as a plan is working for you? do you think Uh, is it are you progressing?
1: well I'm being more opinionated and I think doing things like this being listening to the Rail Innovation Group is very successful but now I couldn't I would find it very difficult to go back into an (laughs) organisation and conform to an organisational structure and whilst, but, I, whilst I would always fight and say you shouldn't have to conform, you work as a team in a big organisation. And but, allow on other
0: but I guess in some ways have you found your calling then? Actually that your know, big organisation wasn't for you and Yes. In terms of your talents and your ideas and that you're suited to being an independent, to being an influencer, to being a trailblazer.
1: Oh absolutely, yes. Thanks for putting it like that. <laughs> um, I have a red face now. Uh, yes, putting it back to you though, because you are obviously a, of a more senior position and have had lots of different careers, what have you discovered about yourself? Um... Apart from the fact that this is the third podcast and I still have not got any cake from you. <laughs>
0: I know, I'm just... Well, you see, part of that is I'm just too busy.
1: <laughs> reading
0: these books. <laughs> too, too busy reading books, um, attending... So obviously we had the latest Rail Innovation Group last night, you know, so I, I am frequently busy and don't very often bake cakes these days. For although. our listeners, I would like
1: to highlight that your Twitter handle is the cake, cake Princess.
0: I know, <laughs> and, and I'm very disappointingly lacking cake. Carrot cake. Um, Carrot cake. I think... I don't, it's interesting because i as you've, you've just since 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 um our last podcast I have left high speed 2. and i think what i what i have found at various parts of my career because i've worked I'm like, i've worked for a lot of big companies i'm like i've worked for american airlines i've worked for um, I've worked in the civil service, I've worked for train operators. And what I always find is that I probably always do come up against that marzipan middle. Yeah, and I think okay. moving, moving around has helped me bypass it. Yeah, I think you can kind of go into an organisation and be there two or three years and then you have to move on.
1: Yeah.
0: Because in some ways, I kind of almost... I'm recognised more by my external peer group than maybe necessarily the people I'm working with.
1: Okay. Given the fact that you have advanced, as you say, by skipping between organisations, would you still say it's the Marzipan middle? Or are you finding a ceiling? Um, I think at the moment I
0: may have reached the ceiling.
1: Right. So no further for you.
0: Who knows?
2: <laughs> how have you... How have you
1: has, has that ceiling hit you on the head? Or have you just been aware of this... This... Line approaching you?
0: To be quite honest, I was never aware of it until I started guessing there. Right. Yeah, um, I would... Um, long pause while I think about it because... I've never really been, I mean, I've always believed in diversity and inclusion and that, but but I have become more aware in the last two years, probably, about how uninclusive society is. And I don't know whether that's because my job has required me to think a lot more about it. But to be blunt, life is bloody unfair for lots of people and i think because of that i've become more aware and i've started fighting for it more and it's an important subject for me from a personal point of view but also for other people as well because to put you know i don't want to labor the point too much because i am a highly privileged person you know i'm white i'm a woman i'm married i own my home you know and i i've had good jobs you know i've been to university i've had i i went to good schools you know i am highly privileged and maybe that's why i've become more aware of it because i'm more aware now more than ever of how privileged i am and how actually and if I was to go back 100 years, if you were to look at my family history, 1919, I mean, like, my Irish side of the family, they were living on a tenant farm in Northern Ireland, or, well, it was Ireland then, it wasn't even Northern Ireland, you know, so my family has come a long way, and I think it's that social mobility that has really made me become aware of the issues surrounding inclusiveness and other, because we've kind of lost that. I mean, could you imagine now somebody who I mean, who comes from that sort of like level of society now you know in that period of time raising you know becoming you know in the top. it's a lot harder now
1: so let's say you if we put on a one to ten scale of ten is obviously managing directors or the chair people of boards Uh, one is your entry level person at 18 would you say that you've got to about uh, an 8 now
0: yeah, I think that's a pretty good assessment.
1: And you're, as you have said, a privileged white woman, and you got to an eight. So have you seen other people who aren't as privileged as you get stuck at six or stuck at five? And Frequently. Is it, I think even... Is it even it barrier, even. or is it themselves? You can see that they didn't either push for to get higher, or there was actually a, a cause.
0: I think... Um, from from what I have seen, I think people make judgments about people, and about where they can get to, and then people prevent people moving up. I've seen that frequently throughout they my think you've, had, you've
1: had your
0: go. Not even that. I think they think you're limited, or you can't do it, or you, you know people. Yeah, and then because
1: you can't do it in the same way that they seen it, yeah. they did it.
0: Or you went to the wrong university. I, mean, I because I didn't mention this as part of sort of like the preparation for this, but you look across senior people across the rail industry, they pretty much all went to a Russell Group university. Um, A lot of them went to grammar school or public school, you know, not all of them, but you know, sort of like particularly if you look at, you know, the policy makers and DFT, a lot of them do. And having worked in um, the civil service, it does remind you of, you know, a boarding school you know or or a public school where you know in between lessons you 're going up downstairs to various meetings or lessons or whatever yes. it it, remi- it reminded I of me of on. i went I went to a private boarding school, and it very much reminded me of of, of my days, so you can kind of see people who have no life experiences in civil service going from they go to school. They go to university and then they go into the civil service and it's you know the same you know they they're hanging out with the same people they get the same you know interest. and that's not to say the civil service is a bad thing but, they, why have, we're
1: here to try and but they have but they have but they have
0: they have similar experiences and it's the same you know with people that are running transport they have similar experiences they you know, they go to uh, they go to good schools and i'm not saying all of them do but a lot of the people at the top do they say they go to russell group universities and then they tend to um swap around um between different senior positions you know so i mean uh, my husband for example likes to call it um football management for people who can't play football yeah
1: and I, I do think that, especially in a transport context, that's an important point because the people making policy decisions, if they are if it isn't a diverse team, then they don't make the decisions that will help everybody. So they're paying taxpayers' money on schemes, and then we have to commission people to go and do studies on how normal people need the transport network to work, because we don't have any normal people
0: yeah well it's not even about it's not even really about normal people it's about um, we all have our own biases and we all have our own lens that we look for through things and we look through our own lenses and it's and it's very difficult to learn empathy when you're always looking at it from your white privileged viewpoint or whatever it is it is you know it's a tough ask and you've got you've got to be able to put yourself in those shoes and you've got to take time to do that to understand that and i think that's what's really interesting about caroline creative Perez's book, in the sense that um, she talks a lot about the data and how the data is not segregated, yeah, and that's why it's not that necessarily people are um, want to do bad things or do things in a wrong way. It's just that we're not disaggregating the data or collecting data in the right way to be able to to enable a balanced decision.
1: Yeah. You just reminded me, um, so my previous time as a transport planner, we used to do a thing called leisure modelling, which is you turn, you plan stations and you do a schematic of a station and then the model assigns a blob for a person and you see all these blobs that move on and off trains and you can see the colour of the blob changes depending on how close they are to each other and how kind of they're bouncing around and how long it takes all these little blobs to get off a train and go off the escalator out of the station. The way you just dealt with disabled people in those legion models is the blob was bigger
0: bigger and slower
1: bigger and slower (laughs) all disabled people or people who couldn't get on and off the trains by themselves were all just assigned a a bigger blob.
0: i think we should do a podcast on legion modeling and the future of ai because there's a whole load of bias that's being built into ai because of of, the people that are programming it
1: half a percent of people are a bigger blob (laughs) <laughs> they're all the same <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I think that's probably got the discussion off to a, yes, g- a good start yes so what's up for today? Thinking. I do so actually
1: sorry just before you do that I would like to say that we are in the oval do you know a little bit about the northern line extension which goes from Kennington to Vauxhall well to Nine Elms but it doesn't go under the oval which is a straight line because this is owned by the Duchy of Cornwall Prince Charles and it's crown estate and you can't compulsory purchase Crown estate, <laughs> it so the line goes around it, as you can go through local. How, online, many right?
0: seconds, how many seconds does that add to the journey? Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's
1: a much easier to the journey. curve around. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, rather than have to go through that bureaucracy, it just goes around it.
0: No, you know, A lot of tra- a lot of transport planning happens because of who owns the land, doesn't it? And the way, and you, if you, think, you know, sort of like, why doesn't something do that? A lot of it is because it's yes. because somebody royal or or whatever so, owns the land. State, uh, yes. <laughs> well, that, so that's again, that's just another <laughs>
1: a, pri- a privileged position. Yeah, just, very just apt talking about privilege. Uh, the establishment reason for something. So, so our plan today is leave the sunny outside and we are going to go inside to the workshop. So we're going to find, hopefully, pull aside some seamlessly to our listeners. It will just go through and you'll hear some interviews in a minute. For us, we need to go and actually mm. take part in this workshop.
0: Excellent. Let's go and join the group.
1: Yes. See to you later. So we're midway through the um, workshop, which has been very interesting. And I have managed to grab the filmer from the Institute of Civil Engineers. Now, you made a very good point earlier, which I wanted to just capture before you ran away. Um, And it was about outreach to schools, and we as a rail industry struggle to get people to go to schools who represent, or who look like the people at schools. So what, do you just have any comments on that?
3: Oh absolutely. Um, as I said before, with schools it's when you go to the periphery of the city you find that the demographics change quite a lot yeah. so it's very important to have ambassadors who represent those demographics um, And
1: where do you, do you are you able to pull upon any from rail who look? or act like those or use the same language as people in schools
3: um, we do so I'll be we very fortunate that our young members um, actually come from we those from the different backgrounds and from local areas as well um, but quite a lot we find that schools are getting more and more specific as to the type of engineers that they want in schools so BAME for instance um, and we it's quite difficult to actually um, ask for engineers right. for a specific... It's generic engineers. Yes, exactly. Um, because luckily, you know, everyone wants to do a little bit to help. Um, so it's very tricky to actually um, approach that kind of subject. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we try our best to always um, fulfill the school's requests. Okay, cool.
1: All right. I know you have to run off, so but thank you.
0: Hi Claire, Um, we've been at the Trailblazers workshop this afternoon, so I was wondering if you could just introduce yourself and your organisation about what you do.
2: So I'm Claire Ludlow and I work with the London Enterprise Advisor Network, which is all about bringing businesses into schools to support careers education, make it a bit more work focused and in touch with what's going on in the world of work so kids can make informed choices when they leave school.
0: So school came up quite a bit as a theme during the workshop, and you mentioned something that I'd never heard before. It was quite different about the perception of rail and how we talk to children in their language. So could you just explore that a bit more?
2: So so I think kids make a decision. Young people make a decision based on what they're exposed to. So, you know, someone mentioned there that Google was quite a cool place to work. They're on the computer every day. They search up Google. It's, it's It's a brand name that appeals to them. And I think the rail, if you think about the rail industry, where where do they, what's on the news, what coverage, what what branding are they getting about the rail industry? So if you're thinking about getting to work as a career into the rail industry, why would you? What's the attraction? So, if we're trying to encourage kids to go into rail industry, let's think about selling up the jobs, the, the opportunities, and and what rail does for you know the, the the travel, the opportunities, how important rail is for the industry and the world. Country. So, so, do you think
0: we should be less engineering focused and then and more focusing on the softer side of it? That it is actually about people and about getting people to work, getting people to hospital, those types of things. Well,
2: yes, I think both sides. So engineering is really important. We need to encourage more people to go into engineers, massive shortages we do that but the rail industry as a whole we don't, We you'd automatically assume all oh, that's the signalman or the, and I say signalman don't I, um, the, <laughs> the railway, the drivers, whatever but what else It's exactly, it's all the other things behind it and I think to open the doors to the rail industry, these are all the different jobs that are there, these are the things you can do this is the career opportunities you could start um, I met someone once that was running a rail station which I always thought was a wonderful job, you know that that's a great that's using management skills, that's nothing to do with trains per se as we perceive it but it's a really exciting job, as you know, a lot of opportunities. So, I think it's opening the doors to the rail industry and saying these are all the different things you can do apart from just engineering, building the tra- mending the tracks, and driving the train.
1: Popping that microphone towards me for a second is if the branding for the rail is so bad or poor, poor perception, no, 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 I, that's my opinion. <laughs> okay, thanks. my position is poor, uh, perception is what a lot of the opportunities you just mentioned. Why are we telling people that those are rail industry jobs? Why aren't we saying you're a facilities manager or you're an IT supplier or you're, a, in my case, I want to promote startups. But why do, do we have to add on all this baggage of the rail industry?
2: That's a really good point. And actually, all the different the types of jobs. So when we talk about careers, so my background in getting unemployed people into work and we used to help people think about what jobs they wanted to do. And we talked to people and we, we, we do the same in, in careers to some extent is think about the skills you've got and your fields of fascination so you may be really good at managing people but what are you interested in are you interested in um, amenities? Are you interested in sport? Are you interested in um, medicine? What what, what is, what's the fields? What's the books that if you were stuck, we say if you were stuck in a library, where what book department would you go to? Or if you were um, stuck more modern now, if you were um, googling, what what subjects do you do you look at? Uh, and that's the that's what interests you, and then you add your skills to it. So if you uncouple the jobs within the rail industry, you're right, and separate off, say these are all the different jobs around. Or if you're interested in rail, then what are the jobs that you could do in there and, and separate the two off? It kind of makes okay. it you're going to trap more people, aren't you? You're going to have trap the two, two sides. Does that it, make sense?
0: It opens it and actually you're pursuing an interest yeah. rather than actually saying at 11 years old, this is what I want to do. Because mm. who knows at 11 really what
2: they want to do. Absolutely. <laughs> Abs- absolutely. And or you know because your mum's or dad's in the corner mm. going, this is what you're going to do because I job, did it. Want a
1: good job and a good career.
2: Yeah, exactly. Or this is what we do in this family and this is how we mm. pursue it. But actually to, to break it down. Mean, because the other thing, we don't all know what our dream job is I mean I'm still don't know so what, what what so you break it down to a manageable chunk of things you can do and things you like then and we need to sell that in rail that it's yeah. not just about
0: being a signaler it's not yeah. about being just about being an engineer it's advertising that rail can be cool
2: absolutely and you can be part of of that part of that in different ways you can add to the coolness of rail and the usefulness of it in your own way Thank
1: Brilliant! Thank you very much. Thank you. So we're back out again by the cricket, and I am speaking now with Lucy from the RSSB, which Rail Safety and Standards Board, and Tim from Network Rail. Rail. Yep, that's right. And what you both mentioned inside during the workshop was about staff network groups. And I just wanted to get a bit uh, short conversation from you. Uh, So Tim, you mentioned that Network Rail has, I think, 16% of the workforce is female. Yep. And so you've decided to change the name of the staff network group, the Women's Equality Network Group, to be the Gender Equality Network Group. And you made the point that you can't expect 16% of the workforce to do all the work. To get equality so in that respect do you have any advice then for lucy at the rssb who's talking about an lgtb lgtb plus q plus uh staff network group how would you uh, advise setting that up to make sure that again it's not the lgbtq plus community who are expected to do all the equality
4: themselves yeah i think i think what i'd say is kind of our staff network evolved basically and it started off as a women's support network because there was a lot of bad stuff going on within the company that basically the women needed a safe space to talk about some of the things they were dealing with and figure out how they were going to resolve it right and that was fine for kind of where it was originally but then as the conversations moved on as we made progress with diversity inclusion Um, More and more men wanted to get involved and so when they started approaching the staff network to say right we want to see more women in the industry we want to see more things happening how can we help that happen originally we were told well you're not even actually allowed to join the the staff network because it's only for women so we campaigned and made it so that men could join and then we said it's no longer now a women's network it's a gender equality network what that's done is that's really kind of opened it up and made it feel like a much more in- inclusive place. Um, but really it's tapped into the fact that a lot of people and senior people within the business knew that they, w- they wanted to do something to support and they, they believed in the overall thing, but they, they didn't know where they needed to go. So what cre- by creating our allies program, it was a group of people that said, we want to actually make small tangible changes within the business and do little things in our business area to make some improvements. And it's really resulted in quite a lot of action over the last couple of years. So we've made some significant progress. We've still got a long way to go, but I think it's been really useful. So I think allies programmes are really good for staff networks. Uh,
5: how have you included the allies and at the same time made sure that you aren't actually e- eclipsing the people that the, the network is intended for?
4: And that's, a, that's a really good point. So I think it's a balance that we've tried to strike. So one of the things that we've done, for example, in a company that is 83% male, um, whenever we wanted to do some really good promotion about things like International Women's Day because we want to celebrate the women within our business and show how fantastic they are and promote everything about them, the usual feedback we were getting is, but you are not doing anything for International Men's Day. You know, 83% of the company is male. You're not doing that. So actually... They're International Men's Day. There is. Oh. It's in November. <laughs> <laughs> November the 17th. And uh, anyway, I don't need to go into any details about that. But um, basically by making sure we were celebrating everything about everyone, uh, it then allowed us to justifiably do that focus that we wanted to do on, on women when, when International Women's Day came along because we could then say, people just assume we haven't done anything for International Men's Day, and of course we have done some stuff. So you point them towards that and say, so there you go, we've, we've celebrated some things, we've got some people involved, but now we want to, because it's International Women's Day, we want to justifiably celebrate those women. So I think finding that balance to say, how can we all support each other was a key part of that
5: have you looked at extending it beyond your own organization to for instance contractors or yeah. supply chain etc cetera, etc cetera? so
4: we've had some initial discussions so um for example we've talked to tfl um they've got an allies program for their women their gender equality network um which i can't remember if it's a women's network or a gender equality network now but um we've done some uh, an element of some sort of kind of the people running both organizations talking at each other's events um but we're at an infancy i think in actually doing cross company collaboration and it's something that i'd like to promote a lot more, so I'd love to see more, more stuff happening across the industry as a whole. Um, so I think that'd be fantastic. And I don't know. In Network Rail, they've just set up a allies program to the uh, to the LGBTQ um, network. Um, so they've actually got an allies program now as well. So again, they, I'm sure they'd be uh, really keen to kind of collaborate and, and share any lessons learned on setting that up as well.
1: Fantastic.
5: I think you've given me everything I kind of need. Really, Excellent. <laughs>
1: <laughs> certainly from Network Rail. That's good. <laughs> Okay, thanks, guys. Sorry. Right, so we're back out watching the cricket, but uh, we have just grabbed uh, Gaynor Pates from the Rail Industry Association because you made a very interesting point in there that you had engaged with some of your members who made the point that diversity inclusion either was too difficult or was not one of their priorities. So I just kind of wanted to question is, given that that we think that that makes them less competitive should we just allow those companies to just fade into history Mm. and be replaced by the more diverse companies coming up
6: very good very good points i i struggle with the same thing because i guess at events that Rhea's run i've had those kind of conversations where people say you know maternity leave is just an extra cost for me flexible working is just an extra problem for me to sort out and when there are other people who can take those jobs then I don't need to worry and I feel the same should I, should we just let them carry on and and uh, not take any you know not look further than their own business but
0: does industry then need to do uh, an exercise with government on showing the value of diversity and how actually you get a return on investment for that investment
6: I, I, yes, I guess uh, that would be useful. I think the information's out there for people who really want to to know. Um, it's like everything else, like quality, safety. Um, if you're good at some what those sort of basic things about how you run your business, and you have excellence running through it, then you're probably going to be good at diversity too. Um, and I would think most people in business do understand that. So. Uh, yeah it's a question of how much do we how much of, do we put of the vital resources we have in the industry into helping those businesses that perhaps don't know quite how to run a business well yeah um,
1: so, so focus on those who want to make change rather than perhaps perhaps dragging them yeah,
6: along yes that's my personal opinion obviously yeah.
1: not the official not title. the official we <laughs> <rear. laughs> <laughs> all right yeah, you know, thank you very much thank you thank you
0: um, hi Jo, um, would you just introduce yourself for uh, our podcasters?
5: Yes, absolutely. So I'm Joe Moffat, I work for Atkins, which is an um, engineering and project management consultancy, part of the SNC levelling group, and I'm a practice director um, of our transportation engineering practice in the and- UK.
0: And a very well-known group within UK Rail, mm. um, so we're here today with um, Rear Trailblazers um, launch event, and we've just been speaking to Gainer about the problems of getting people engaged in diversity. And you made a very interesting point about how it's not a so nice to have. So can we just explore that a bit further? Yeah, absolutely.
5: I mean, we see that diversity and inclusion in our culture is not a nice-to-have. It's a must-have. It weaves through everything that we do in terms of delivery of projects, retention of staff, um, any number of things. um, There's a whole raft of, of um, research which shows that a diverse workforce and an inclusive I- culture um, leads to better business results. So, so, so we don't see it as a nice to have, it, so it's a must have. Um, our issue is about making sure that we weave it into all elements of our culture um, so that it's something that we become, um, it becomes more of a habit that we do rather than something that we kind of have to work very hard to, to overlay and we're still at that sort of early stage of, of mat- in, in that sort of journey of maturity
0: so where in that journey are you because you, know, you say you know, it makes good business so are mm. you seeing the results of it being good business
5: yeah absolutely i mean we see that we're able to pull together diverse teams and diverse teams that have kind of a wide variety of strengths and we focus with our teams on on what actual strengths um, we, we can pull together in terms of that collective intelligence of the teams um, to, to actually improve
0: our delivery of projects. And do the team see the value of it? Like, are you making that inroads in that culture? that it isn't that nice to have that it is valuable to have diversity
5: yeah i think i think i think they do see the value in it i'd like to i'd like to be able to say that you know everyone's absolutely convinced and engaged and, and it's become a habit already the reality of it is that lots of people are are engaged lots of people do see the value we've still got quite a long way to go so that's why we continue
0: to focus on it and just one more question What advice would you give to our listeners in order to make that cultural change, if you could say it was one thing that makes them start on that journey? Oh, if if there's one
5: thing, I think it's about making engaging as many people as possible and making it meaningful and understandable to everybody in the business as to what it is you're trying to achieve rather than talking in a language that's maybe not landing with people is making
0: it kind of personal so that they can kind of own it and properly understand it themselves so that's actually yeah that is about talking in their language and making it meaningful what does it mean for me yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. that's brilliant thank you so much for spending time with us it's a pleasure thank you.
3: you so
0: that was a really great afternoon so what um what conclusions or insights did you did you take away from the workshop
1: i'm sorry i just dropped my microphone (laughs) but i'm putting it back on now there we go hopefully you can hear me um i took uh a couple of good thoughts came out so as our listeners will have seamlessly moved through the box box we took through the uh session um now there were afterwards, two of the points that I wanted to take from that, uh, that event were, we're still, in my view, talking about people have to commit to coming into rail. So we're saying the challenge is getting people to make a, effectively a life or death decision that they're going to be a rail person. And I think that that's the wrong approach for us to be taking. There are lots of peripheral jobs people who are doing bits and bobs around the side of rail whether it's a software job whether it's a retail job whether it's a planning job but they're not in rail whereas I think there's a, a thought in industry that people have to we need these people to be rail people
0: mm. there's kind of a structural cultural problem there isn't there <laughs> <laughs> well yes yeah, because and the, the mechanisms don't allow you to sort of like flit around a bit and correct. be that um, I mean we're both freelance
1: uh, we're both freelance and we job around and we do flit in and out and certainly I don't spend my entire waking day being a rail person but for some reason and that might be a culture change thing that might be the people in rail are those people committed to rail therefore they expect they want other people to commit to rail
0: so are we the trailblazing cool kids then
1: absolutely definitely definitely <laughs> um the other thing that I just wanted to mention before we move on is uh ah one thing that I was it was raised during that was the concept that unfortunately, if you're going to get more diversity in the rail industry and you're going to raise the number of women in rail, you have to start apprenticeships. so once you your gender pay gap is actually going to get worse for it, the period whereby it takes you to get these apprentices in. And then get them through the organisation. You're actually going to look as though you're doing a do you, less well.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you think that was a point that was more about the low level that apprenticeships start at, rather yeah. than actually about the actual pay gap itself? Because yeah, but, the but there apprenticeship would just be a higher proportion yeah. at the lower grade. And I think that's a through. problem overall because when you look at the stats, that all the um, all the organisations now report on. I mean, a lot of them, and data is important in the sense a lot of them report that structurally mm. they don't think they have a gender pay gap, but it looks bad because more women are lower level layer at a lower level down the organisation. But structurally, that's bad anyway, isn't it? Regardless of where they sit, yeah. they're still earning less, and they're not in senior roles. Yes, and I think and referring- when they get to their
1: senior roles, those senior roles will not be as highly mm. paid because they're more they've,
0: because, and also because they've started at a lower base rate anyway
1: well no there is some statistic mm. actually I heard this from another podcast which was that as women get higher representative in senior roles the pay goes down and if as men get more representative in sort of caring roles and mm. the lower skills jobs pay goes up
0: mm. so in some ways that makes sound good business then to employ more women because it costs costs organizations cheaper (laughs) although that's probably an unintended consequence yes and we wouldn't want to encourage that yes
1: now I know you have a very good summary you want to finish with but I just wanted to segue nicely into that by saying that we spent the afternoon in a room of 25 people 17 of whom were women but I'm very curious how much effort it took to get a room like that which is completely unrepresentative of our industry But these people now can be the trailblazers after a lot of effort.
0: Or turning that question on its head, are they the trailblazers because they're the minority group so they have a vested interest in attending and actually you have the opposite problem in the fact that if you really want to make head road, you need to get more men in the room or more of the senior.
1: Senior men. Men in the room. Yes. Yeah, but at least coming together, we have an influence and a voice.
0: Which I find of, kind of think that quite nicely wraps into sort of like my final sentence that I wanted to say, and it's a quote um, from Alice Walker, and this is what's really important in terms of diversity, I think, and how we can influence and change our behaviours because the most common way people give up their power is by thinking that they don't have any. And I think we all do have our own superpower and we can change things if we really want to.
1: Yes, through the power of a podcast.
3: Absolutely.